Amen. Oh, for grace to trust him more. It is sweet to trust in Jesus. We praise God for the life and rest and joy and peace that he provides us. Amen. If you'd stand with me this morning as we read together our scripture, we're in in our series, The Armor of God, and we're coming out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, So if you'll join me in the reading of our text. Let's begin. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Here we go. <laughs> Technical difficulties. There we go. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. You may be seated. There were some who weren't here last week, and so we want to give a, a review so that we make sure we're all on the same page and that the introduction from last week really forms the foundation for this entire lesson. And so from last week we said that if we are to understand our warfare, the armor of God and its usage, we must first identify our position and our role in the battle that has been waged against us. If you remember last week, we said you do have to choose a side that our default position is that we're not in Christ, that we're not in line with God. And we have to choose to follow Christ. uh, Paul says in Ephesians, and we saw that in verse uh, 10 of chapter 6, he says, finally, my brethren, who's he talking to? He's talking to the church, my brethren. Then he says, be strong in who? In the Lord. And in the power of his might. So we said that you can't be strong in something if you're not in it. I love the way the Amplified says this, this verse. And it, it you know, the ampl- that amplification that this translation provides is, is great. 
But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 on the Amplified, it says, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through union with him. Draw your strength from him, that strength which his boundless might provides. So we're called to be strong in the Lord. And you can't be strong in the Lord if you're not in the Lord. That was the first point. That was our position. And we said that the default position is to not be in, in God. And we have to make a decision by the grace of God to choose Christ. To choose to surrender our lives to his lordship. So after talking about our position, then we talked about our role. And if you remember, we said our role is to stand. In verse 11 of chapter 6, it tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. We're not, we're not trying to run to the enemy's camp. We're not, we're not advancing anything. God has given us armor for the purpose of standing. And then we talked about the fact that man... Like God is triune. Man is made up of a, a, man has a spirit, a soul, and a body. And we said that the soul is the gatekeeper between the body and the spirit. And by the work of the spirit in us, the soul gets to choose whether or not we're going to be in Christ or not. Whether we're going to choose the Lordship of Christ or whether we're going to choose to go our own way. And then whether we're going to put on the armor or not. We said because the armor, though Paul is using a, a physical, you know, a metaphor of something physical, the, the substance and the essence of what he's talking about is spiritual. So we said, you know, I can't put armor on for you and you can't put it on for me. But we ourselves have to put it on by the grace of God. And as I was thinking about that this week and about the soul being the gatekeeper this statement came to mind to kind of put a cap on uh, last Sunday's message. And the thought is this. Grace impartation plus grace appropriation equals soul transformation. Grace impartation plus grace appropriation results in soul transformation. Everybody understand what I mean by that? God appropriates grace. We can't choose Jesus apart from ourselves, apart from the spirit of God giving us grace. Jesus says, no man comes to the Father lest the spirit which sent me draws him. So we don't just wake up and decide, I'm, I'm going to get saved today. I'm going to start living for Jesus today. And if that's your experience, that's great. But what you don't realize is that you couldn't do that on your own. But that God extended a measure of grace to you in the spirit to be able to make that decision. So God imparts grace to us, and as we appropriate that grace, the soul is transformed. And I won't read the references there, but you have them. But as we surrender to God, as we appropriate the grace, we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 12, I said I wasn't going to quote it, but I will. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I, 
I like how the NIV says it. The NIV says, which is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2 of Romans 12 says, but don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we receive God's grace and we choose by the grace of God to surrender our lives, our, our mind is renewed. We are transformed. We grow in grace. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's a cap on, on last Sunday's message. So today we want to jump into part two of this series on the armor of God and talk about our enemy this morning. Once we know our position and our role, we need to know the identity, the nature, and strategy of our enemy. Once I know the position that I'm in and the role that I am to play, then I need to know who my enemy is, the nature of my enemy, and my enemy's strategy. Paul says in Ephesians, 6 and 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of who? Of the devil. Goes on in verse 12 and says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so we need to understand who our enemy is. We need to understand who he is. And so our, enemy, our, our enemies are the devil and other demonic beings. That's who our enemies are. The same sentiment Paul echoes here in Ephesians chapter 6. He echoes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. If you have your Bibles, turn there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 and 4. Paul says in this verse, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So Paul says this same thing right here, that we don't war against flesh and blood. So I look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're not my enemy. Uh-oh, somebody said you are my enemy. Wait, did I say that right? Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. You are not my enemy. Our enemies are the devil and demonic forces. Now, you know, and I'm talking to a bunch of folks who are in church. And so you wouldn't think that we would have to even disclose this, that our enemy is the devil and demonic forces. We've got some folks in here that are sat under some good preaching and teaching. And you would think that I wouldn't even have to tell you that our enemy is the devil. But you know what? I've discovered far too often people pick and choose what parts of the Bible they want to believe and what parts they don't want to believe. What parts they are going to obey and what parts they're not going to obey. How many of you know that's very dangerous? That's a dangerous thing. And you wouldn't think we'd have to tell people that it's the devil that's their enemy. But you know what? When you know who your enemy's not, that, that boils down the list of suspects. 
Unfortunately, in churches today, people still need to be told that the devil is the enemy. And if you don't believe me, let me give you some statistics. The Barna Group has done a study on Satan. And, and in their study, they said nine out of ten adults own at least one Bible. And eight out of ten consider themselves to be Christian, but you'd never know it from the smorgasbord of religious beliefs professed by most people. And so the Barna Group has done some studies. They, in their study, have found that six out of ten Americans, 59%, reject the existence of Satan, indicating that the devil or Satan is merely a symbol of evil and nothing more. Catholics are much more likely than Protestants to hold this view at 75% compared to 55%, although a majority of both groups concur that Satan is symbolic. That's from the American Draws Theological Beliefs from Diverse Viewpoints, a George Barna study done in October of 2002. Now what's interesting here is the rejection of Satan's existence seems to conflict with the fact that a slight majority, 54%, also contend that a human being can be under the control of an influence of spiritual force, such as a demon. People aged 57 or older were the group most likely to doubt the existence of Satan at 64%, and also emerged as the most least likely to accept the notion of demonic influences, 39% compared to 55% among baby boomers and 62% among baby busters, rather, and 62% of baby boomers. The Barter Group did another study in April of 2009. They did an interview of 1,871 self-described Christians and discovered that 4 out of 10 Christians, 40% strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. An additional 2 out of 10 Christians, 19%, agree somewhat with that perspective. So 40 and 19, what's that, 59%? Same numbers. A minority of Christians indicated that they believe Satan is real by disagreeing with the statement. One quarter or 26% disagreed strongly, and about one-tenth or 9% disagreed somewhat. The remaining 8%, now these are professing Christians now, the remaining 8% were not sure what they believed about the existence of Satan. That's something else, isn't it? The Bible clearly says that we have an enemy who desires to sift us as we. An enemy that walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Christians, Americans, would argue whether there is an actual being or entity named Satan. Furthermore, talking about the Holy Spirit. And about demons, much like their perceptions of Satan, most Christians do not believe that the Holy Spirit is a living force either. Overall, 38% strongly agreed and 20% agreed somewhat that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but not a living entity. Just one third of Christians disagreed that the Holy Spirit is not a living force. 9% disagreed somewhat, 25% disagreed strongly, while 9% were not sure. So here we had 8% of folks that were undecided about Satan. We got 9% of folks that are undecided about whether the Holy Spirit is an actual person and not merely a symbol. 
A majority of Christians believe that a person can be under the influence of spiritual forces, such as demons or evil spirits. Two out of three Christians agreed that such influence is real, with 39% agreeing strongly and 25% agreeing somewhat. While just three out of ten rejected the influence of supernatural forces, 18 strongly disagreed, 10 disagreed somewhat, 8% are still undecided on the matter. Now these are self-professing Christians who say that they believe the Bible. They believe the word of God. But Barna did two polls in 2000, in 2002 and in 2009, and the numbers are out. That more than half of believers don't believe there is a Satan. It's just a symbol of evil. Does that surprise you? It might not surprise you, but I believe that some people would be surprised by those statistics. And so people need to understand when we talk about who the enemy is in the spiritual war, that our enemy is the devil and demonic forces. Billy Graham, uh, there's a quote that's been attributed to him. And it, he says, it's often been said that one of the devil's greatest tricks is to convince people that he doesn't really exist. And it's true. It's true. He, it's right. That's one of his greatest deceptions is to get you and I to believe that he doesn't exist. Because if I don't believe in him and he doesn't exist, that really messes up the whole warfare strategy. And I go back to this. If demonic forces can control people, so some people believe there is a devil, there are spirits, people can be controlled by spirits, but then they don't believe in the Holy Spirit, what recourse do we have? What recourse do they have if they believe that there's a demonic spiritual being that can influence or control them, but they don't believe the opposite? That there's a spirit that gives life and life more abundantly. So we have to let people know who the enemy is because a lot of people don't believe he exists. What are the implications of not believing in the devil? Not believing that he exists. What are the implications? Number two, the implications of not believing the devil exists are that we lose. We lose. And we lose, there are several fronts, several ways, but there are two that we're highlighting today. In the short term, uh, we lose the battles. And why do we lose the battles? It's important for us to remember that God uses suffering. God uses the things that we go through to temper us and to perfect us. But if I'm going through and I'm still struggling with things, I'm still wrestling with things, then I lose battles because I believe the lie that I can't live holy, that I can't walk in newness of life, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And why do I believe that I can't walk in newness of life and be holy? Because there's no devil. And supposedly I'm new in Christ, but you know what? The new me got as many issues as the old me. I'm new in Christ, but I still feel these same temptations. When the person's acting a fool, I still want to cuss them out. When the guy cuts me off in the lane, I feel like speeding up and cutting him off. When things that make other people angry, now I thought because I'm a Christian, now I'm not supposed to be angry, but I still get angry. 
I still hold lust and unforbidden, you know, bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart. But I'm supposed to be saved. The new me is just as messed up as the old me. Well, if that's the case, I guess then this holiness thing and this transformation thing and this perfection thing that's riddled throughout scripture isn't going to happen for me in this life. So let me do what I can. And if I don't, if I choose not to resist, no big deal, because it's not supposed to happen for me in this life. It's going to happen when I'm with Jesus. So I lose the battles because I don't resist the devil like he's given me the armor and the ability and the mind to do. When I don't believe that I have an enemy against my soul, when I don't believe in the devil, I lose the battle. I lose the battles. I don't continue to stand. I give in to my feelings. And I say, well, God God just failed on me. (laughs) I'm supposed to be new, but I don't feel new. I guess I'm a dud. You know, I, I don't I don't you know, I'm not anointed like the people on Christian television. <laughs> That's another story for another day. I, I hope we don't compare our spiritual walk to the people you see on TV. But if I'm, if we don't understand that there's Satan, we're going to believe a lie. We're not going to walk in the newness of life that he has for us. And Paul tells us that. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, you remember, Bishop taught us this. You know, the enemy knows what we like. He's got the benefit of history. He's seen how everybody's tempted. He's seen everybody's struggles. He knows what you like. He knows what you got a taste for. He knows what I got a taste for. Or what I I should say is what I used to have a taste for. But the devil can't stand in front of me. You know, like we see in the cartoons, the man in the little red suit with the pointy tail. He can't stand in front of me and say, "Mm, Michael, you know you want that. But if something inside of me says, "Mm, Michael, you know you want that. I give more credence to it. And so we have to remember what Bishop taught us. We are new in Christ. But the feelings don't go away. And the devil speaks to us in our voice. And we receive it like it's us talking. But what we have to remember is that we are new. And so by the grace of God, though the feelings haven't changed, what's he tell us? Uh, What's he always used to tell us? Feelings are real, but they're not the engine that drives the train. Feelings are the caboose. So when the feelings come, I have to remember, just because I feel this way doesn't mean I'm not saved. But God's given me grace to live holy and to walk in newness of life despite how I feel. Now, if I don't believe that and I don't believe there's a devil, I'm going to lose those battles every time. Not only will I lose battles, but I'm going to lose the war. I'm going to lose the war. Because how many of you know you can't win a war if you don't know who your enemy is? If you don't know who you're fighting, you can't win a war. But not only that, we can't help others in their efforts to win the war if they can't agree with God about who the enemy is. If I can't agree with God about what his word says, I'm like a patient who goes into a doctor's office and says, I need a diagnosis because I've got a problem. And the doctor says, you have this and this is the prescription. And you reply, I don't have that. 
If I disagree with the doctor's diagnosis and, 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 and his regimen to deal with it, then the doctor can't help me. Is the doctor a doctor? Absolutely. Does the doctor have the education? Absolutely. Can the doctor help other people? Possibly, but the doctor can't help me. If I don't choose to believe that what he said is true, if I don't re receive her authority as a physician and her expertise and her knowledge, doesn't matter that she's a doctor. Doesn't matter that he's a doctor. Doesn't matter that they can do surgeries. Doesn't matter that they can prescribe things. They can't help me. And if we don't believe that there is a devil, we will lose the war. We will think it's all me. It's all me. It's all me. I'm defeated. I'm defeated. I don't know what to do. And we live lives that are defeated and ultimately... We're separated from God. If I'm not in a position where I choose God, if I, if I feel like, again, I told you before, you can't be on the fence. If I feel like, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm just, I'm neutral. <laughs> and by the way, that's one of the biggest lies the devil will tell you. Next to, I don't exist. Once you, once you figure out he does exist, he'll say, yeah, well, you know. Well, keep doing what you're doing. You know, get saved when you want to. He's in our ear all the time. And if we don't treat him like he's real, we'll lose the war. So we need to know the identity of our enemy. Secondly, we need to know the nature of our enemy. Paul says in verse 12, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I'm not going to go through all of this. Your, your outline today is, is there's so much content in it and so rich, I didn't even put it in the bullets. I gave you a, sec, a separate page. So go home and look at these. But we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against those who have been situated above the world or above the world system. Against powers, we're wrestling against, uh, in, in the Greek, exousia, in a sense of ability and privilege. We, we wrestle against a being that is privileged, that has some privileges that we don't have. Rulers of darkness, beings that, that, that exercise influence in the absence of light, i.e. revelation. Spiritual Host of wickedness. That word spiritual means non-carnal. In heavenly places, in high places, in celestial places, in the spiritual world or spiritual realm. So not only is our enemy not of this world, but he's out of this world. In a bad way. Ever heard somebody say, he's out of this world. She's out of this world. Your enemy is out of this world, but in a bad way. The implications of our enemy's nature. And you, you got all these here on your page, so I won't go through these. But the implications of our enemy's nature is that we are outmatched. In that verse that we read earlier, Paul said, uh, you know, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh. So you know how to war like folks in the world war. You know, you do this to me, I do this to you. You talk bad about me, I talk bad about you. 
You do this to me, I blast you on Facebook. You blast me back. We send, we send these, these messages that are cloaked in funny language. And we say things that, or do things that can be construed a couple different ways. Well, they did this to me. Well, they said this to me. And somebody says, well, that don't seem so bad. That don't seem like they was trying to get you. No, girl, they're trying to get me. They trying to do, you know, we know how to war against one another. You, you know, back in the day before guns and knives and all this stuff, people went, step outside, step outside. What? What? You know, we know how to war according to the things of the flesh. He's saying you and I are outmatched. You don't wrestle against a flesh and blood being. Hollywood has done a great job of all the movies they put out of beings from another planet. And don't we just love the movies when the overmatched earthlings come out victorious. Let me tell you, if that happened in reality and we didn't have Jesus, ain't no happy ending to the story. <laughs> There's no happy ending. We are outmatched. So the psalmist said, David said in, in Psalm 8 and 5, and the writer of Hebrews says the same thing, we've been made a little lower <laughs> than the angels. But it's only in Christ who, though he became like us and was made a little lower than the angels, but by the grace of God was sinless and died for you and me. And now God is going to exalt him and give him a name that's above every name. It's that God. It's that Christ who reigns. And if you and I are in him, if we're identified with him, we have a connection that enables us to be victorious. And then, after we know who our enemy is, and we have it, who is it? The devil and, and other demonic forces. After we know that, and then we understand his nature, we understand that he's not of this world, that they are not of this world. Then we need to know what's the strategy. And I'm thankful that God has revealed to us what the devil's strategy is. Paul says in verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil is going to use deception. You have the, the definitions here before you. Of, uh, you know, in Vine's uh, complete expository dictionary of Old New Testament words and and another definition there with Noah Webster. So I'm not going to get into that, but we see it's, it's craftiness, it's deceitfulness, it's lying in wait to deceive. And, and that's what the devil does, tries to deceive us. And the implications of the enemy's strategy is that we believe a lie and enslave ourselves. We believe a lie and enslave ourselves. You remember, many of you, we went through this series, John Bevere series, Beta Satan and, and Undercover. And in both of them, he says that the problem with deception, he said there's only one thing wrong with it. The only problem with deception is that it's deceiving. That you can believe in your heart of hearts that you are absolutely, positively right and be completely wrong. And as we said, when we talked about, he said we wrestle against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places where there is the absence of revelation, where there is darkness, that's where the devil can work at its best. Because when I know the truth and I receive the truth and I believe it, I live according to it, 
The devil can't trick me. But if the devil can get me to doubt what God has said, if the devil can get me to not acknowledge God's presence and the fact that God wants to have influence in every area of my life and get me not to consult the kingdom, puts me in a position where God can't back me. An ambassador, when they speak for the kingdom or the nation that they represent, when they speak, they speak as one who represents that nation, which means that they contact the authorities in that nation and say, what is our position regarding this? And then when the media comes and when other politicians come, you say, it is the position of the government or the nation that I represent that such and such and such and such a thing. That ambassador does not speak for his or herself, but they speak for the kingdom that they represent. They would be deceived if they would believe that they could spout awesome stuff having not spoken with them and think that their government's going to back them. And how many times have we seen that with politicians and, and different people? Oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. I didn't mean to say that. You know, if the United States has an ambassador in another country and that ambassador spouts off and does something and misrepresents what the position of the United States is, all of a sudden, somebody's going to call that ambassador. Come on back here to the United States. We need to have a conversation. They might get their, their credentials pulled. They might be removed from their position depending on how bad a goof up it was. When you misrepresent the kingdom, there are consequences. I, I was reading in, in, in Deuteronomy and I felt so bad for Moses because Moses is faithful doing what he's supposed to do. And in a moment of weakness and in not being led by God, he responded in a way that did not represent God's heart. And after all he's done, God said, you know what? You're going to get to see the land, but you're not going to get to go in. I said, man. But what does the devil do? The devil works in darkness. The devil seeks, you know, it says he lies and waits. Looking for an opportunity to deceive us. And if he can get us not to phone heaven. If he can get us to not listen to the voice of the spirit within. And to respond and to do something that's not in the will of God, we trap ourselves. See, a lot of people give the devil too much credit. See, the devil's power was broken. Now, and I'm, and by, by the, I understand that I'm not saying that there aren't some people in some spiritual situations where they need some deliverance. I'm speaking in general that, that the devil will deceive us and cause us to enslave ourselves. His power has been broken on Calvary's cross. But if we don't believe that, if he can deceive us and get us to believe, you can't help but do what you feel you want to do. Go ahead and do it. We enslave ourselves. See, it's bad when there's a trap and you're trying to avoid it and you accidentally trip or somebody push you into it. You, you know, you can say it's not my fault. You know, you don't feel as bad about it. But when you say, oh, it's all right. I can, dip, I can dibble and dabble in this and dibble and dabble in that. And, you know, I can stop when I want to. I can get out of this when I want to. And all of a sudden, a bear trap comes and snaps you. See, when somebody else tricks you, you know, you, you, know, you don't feel so bad. But, but when you believe the lie and, and you, you know, do it yourself and you get caught up, then what we do? Oh, I, I, just, I can't believe I fell for that. I can't believe, you know, I can't believe. We get down on ourselves. But that's the devil's trick. His, his, his desire is to deceive you and to deceive me. And so it's only when we put on the armor of God that we're able to stand. It's only when we're in the armor 
that we can stand for truth and that God can work in and through us and, and transform us and we can grow in grace and we can grow in knowledge. And I told you last week, our goal is not to advance. Our goal is to maintain. And so the devil, God will, will through the spirit, just uproot something in us. And then Jesus presents it to us and says, surrender it to me. This is in you. If you want deliverance, give it back to me. And if I do that, if you do that, he takes care of it. And then he says, now defend it. Don't let the devil come back and get it. Don't let him mess with it. Defend it. Stand. Be firm. When we do that, we experience victory. When we do that, we experience his transformation. Conclusions are my final admonitions this morning. If you're not saved today, I want you to understand that you have an enemy who is out to get you. And apart from the grace of God, your submission to God, and the armor of God, you will not win. The truth is the truth. Whether we obey it or whether we believe it or not, the truth is the truth. I pray that you heed God's word today. Understand that you've got an enemy, but understand that you have a God who loves you, sent Jesus to die for you, and will give grace to you. So not only can you say yes to him, but so that he can deliver you and transform you, that you and I will become the people he has called us to be. Remember, if you're not in Christ, you can't put on the armor. You can't be strong in the Lord. And as we see today from our enemy, from who he is and his, his nature, his identity, his strategy, we are outmatched. Do not believe the lie that you can take off the devil yourself. Don't believe the lie that because you came up in a Christian home or you go to church all the time or you have Christian friends that you don't need to make a decision right now. I encourage you, if you hear the word today, don't harden your heart, but heed the voice of God. And then for those of us who are disciples and you've been battling and you've been going through, I encourage you to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to read 9 and 10. It says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. And I want you to know today that God has already declared your victory from your enemy. All you got to do is by the grace of God, stand and keep standing. And remember that as bad as the enemy is that we face, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you have not allowed the enemy of our souls to take us away from you without giving us a choice to receive you and giving us the weapons to stand. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross and that Satan is defeated because of your work. You said it is finished. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in and through our lives. I pray that you would convict and you would draw those in this place 
who do not know you and are not living for you. Lord, reveal the truth. Reveal the reality to them that they do have an enemy who's against them. And his name is Satan. Holy Spirit, for the one that knows you, I pray that you would strengthen them, that they would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. God, help us to walk a holy life and a newness of life that you have provided to us through your spirit. And Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your power, for your provision. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.